can you feel the heat? Welcome back, everybody. It's been a long, 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 long two weeks because Jeff and I couldn't, you know, properly plan our schedule around our weekly show. But now we're back and we got more content to talk about than ever. Jeff, you're on the other side here on the Skype call with us recording here. How are you, bud? Oh, not bad. Just a little tired. I just got back from a youth hockey championship game that went into a eight, nine-man shootout for championship tournament game. So, a little tired. It's been a long weekend, but, you know, we're here. We're going to get through this podcast because we got a lot to talk about. Eight to nine-man shootout. First off, for a championship game, that's got to be both nerve-wracking and it's got to piss you off that it has to go to a shootout. Whether or not you want to keep all of your time there, do you think the championship should have been determined by a shootout or just keep playing until someone scores? It would have been cool to see how it would have played out if if you do essentially golden goal rules, but um, you know, unfortunately, that's just not how it works. And they got to kind of keep the keep the games moving, so they got to get to a shoot, shootout and get everybody home. So um, I don't know. It's kind of it's just kind of the cards you're dealt with and you deal with it. I don't think they're ever going to change it. So it is what it is. What it is. It was at least enjoyable to watch that shootout go that long. Yeah, our goalie was really good. So um, we had all the confidence in the world. It was just a matter of us. Uh, scoring so um, their goalie was really good too he made a couple really big saves on a couple couple of our really good players so um, as you see in the NHL when you start getting to eight nine ten in that part of your roster you're starting to really um, go with guys that aren't probably thinking of that that situation or anything so it was really cool to see how some of the kids were able to react to being in a High pressure situation like that. And did you get the win? We did get the win. All right. You, I, I figured you would have sounded a little more cheerful when talking about that, but it just sounds like you're exhausted. Yeah, just exhausted. Um, it's also it's a tor- tournament in January. You're happy to win it, but we have bigger goals ahead of us. Well, there you go. It's nice to, to think of it to, that way. To give like my best Bill Belichick and Mike Babcock impression, you know, we're just we're on to the next game. Well, there you go. Okay, all right. So, well, let's turn it over to a game that I mean, I wasn't able to watch, but I'm sure if you had the time, you were definitely watching this game between the Boston Bruins and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, and... Dave, yeah, um, I did watch it actually. I was in in the crowd for that one because okay, I, oh I, well. I, I do on-site. I do on-site reporting with the with the Penguins. All right. Well, because you were there, set the stage. Tell us what happened and give us your opinion on the matter. So it's a twelve thirty NBC start. Um, you know, every, the the building's pretty packed, pretty well. You got a you got a few Bruins fans kind of sprinkled around the crowd, like in the little clusters, kind of like what we're kind of used to seeing because of the availability of tickets nowadays and everything. And um, there's the crowd was in pretty good spirits getting into uh, getting up to puck drop and everything. Um, Seemed like a pretty good crowd building was full and 11 seconds in Patrice Bergeron puts one in over Matt Murray's glove hand side. 
um, on a pass that got from the far wall all the way over to Bergeron. Um, so quickly, Pittsburgh's down one nothing. And on the next ensuing shift or the third shift, um, if I remember correctly, um, Boston comes down three on two and bang, second shot of the game makes it two nothing. And I was there with my cousin and a couple other family members, and we're kind of just looking at, each, looking at each other like, what is happening right now? They just scored two goals on two shots, and like they got to kind of just walk right down Fifth Avenue to put it in. So, um, so like there's a lot of shock in the crowd, and next thing you know, the Bruins, I think when the, the ensuing faceoff after the second goal and uh, they do, they kind of do like a soft chip dump, like right onto, right on net. And Matt Murray kind of goes down, stops it with his paddle, and you hear a Bronx Bronx cheer from the from the Penguin crowd. And um, it was not a good look for for those who who booed Matt Murray. Um, uh, it was it was very uncomfortable when it happened because it was only a couple hundred people that did it in the crowd, but it made things a lot more restless throughout the, the first period of, we got to just get out of this period. Um, eventually Boston made it three, three, nothing, three, nothing or Pittsburgh made it. Yeah. It was three, nothing because I think okay. the third goal bounced off of Jack Johnson. Yeah. Right off went his in the net. So there's really nothing Murray can do there. Right, but it goes through his five hole, and now people are saying you got to pull him. I was one that thought that he was going to get pulled after the first period. Um, and not only you, um, for, and like I said, I didn't watch the game just, but just from hearing talk radio and everything else like that. Apparently, on the broadcast, uh, Eddie Olchuk was saying that if he were Mike Sullivan, he's pulling Matt Murray at the end of this period. Right, and and that's not in. My reasoning for pulling him wouldn't have been because he's playing bad. I thought it was more of a reflection of how the Penguins came out. They just looked flat. They weren't controlling the puck. They kind of were chasing the Bruins all throughout the first period. Um, and Mike Sullivan showed some guts and kind of stuck with Matt Murray. Um, the Penguins eventually make a comeback. They won 4-3. Everybody's all happy. But the big story out of Sunday was this Bronx cheer that the Penguin crowd gave Matt Murray, and um, there's a lot of uproar from what I've been reading from the from the Penguins locker room of the the disrespect that the Penguin crowd gave Matt Murray. And um, Dave, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on this because I, for one, um, I I was very disappointed, it, and it came off as very much a a uh, spoiled fan base to boo a goaltender that won you back-to-back Stanley Cups. So there is a fine line of of being a fan and what you can do, in my mind. Um, just because you pay the right for your seat doesn't give you the right to also be an asshole. Um, so, oh, jeez. Bust hey, out a swear so, word. There you go. Oh, come on. Just because you haven't done it in 2020 doesn't mean you're the saint of this show. Yeah, now. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that's a lot for you. Well, uh, all right. So, I mean, that's a lot for me on air. You should hear me off air. How about that? Yeah, that's fair. Um, but if I want to compare the two, because we just talk about baseball and hockey, 
I can see this going into a Pirates game and the media not caring and the players probably also understanding based off what goes on on that field in PNC Park sometimes. But for a player who just two years ago, and technically in his rookie year, won two Stanley Cups for this organization, to be getting any sort of treatment like this is just the way that Mark Madden put it, despicable. And it's very, it's nary a time when I agree with with that man. But when I just read a little bit of his article, and it, I agree, it was despicable just to even think of a of a crowd going against uh, a goalie who was so well-received because he was winning and replace a, a goalie that, you know, was going through the same thing after he won his Stanley Cup in 09, and then his playoff struggles continued a couple years after that, and he got the same treatment. Um, I'm tired of these, uh, and I say these because I also, I'm, a, I'm in this list of fans. I'm tired of Penguins fans who are at this game essentially becoming front runners as we only deserve the best. And if you can't even make, you know, finger quotes, simple saves, then we're going to try to boo you or jeer you out of here. Um, I just think it's unacceptable of the fans. And it was probably the best call by Mike Sullivan to leave him in there because I would say that with the fans jeering after like being down three, nothing and, mocking him on every save that he made. Mike Sullivan probably made it a point to get those fans to shut the hell up and put Matt Murray back in there just to see what the Penguins could do on the ice. So I think to a degree, to a very small degree, the fans probably helped Mike Sullivan make that decision to keep him in there. But in no way do the fans get any praise for this because that was just stupid in my mind. I don't think the the fans are why Mike Sullivan kept him in. I mean, at the end of the day, Mike Sullivan's got to do what's best for his team. Right. Um, I do think the goal Dominic Simone scored off another sick pass by Crosby, which we got a lot more to talk about him later on in the show. Um, I think that goal kept Matt Murray in it because 3-1 sounds a lot better than 3 nothing. So I think, I think that goal kept him in that game. I still probably would have pulled him. But you're, you build off a little momentum, and they ended the first period pretty well, actually. They kind of they were able to grab a little momentum with the goal. They kind of were able to start getting offensive zone time in the, in the Bruins' end. So um, I think that's one of the things that kept them in that game. Um, as far as how the fans came off, I mean, I can't say this enough, that they came off looking spoiled, bratty, um, a lot of it might have been still people that are still the flurry followers out there that, um, you know, they should have kept flurry. The, uh, why did we keep Murray? Um, at, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a flurry follower, you know what? It's been three years, two, three years at this point. Um, let's move on here. If you want to be a Vegas Golden Knights fan, by all means, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Be a fan of them because your favorite player plays on that team or whatever. Go ahead. But don't buy a ticket into a Penguins game and boo Matt Murray or jeer him or whatever you guys want to do because you don't like him because Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't play for the for the Pittsburgh Penguins anymore. I also and, want to take a, a stab in the dark. Sorry to cut you off. 
that those same. I mean, here I I still love Flurry as well, but he plays no, for another team now. Yeah. yeah, that's not not a knock on Flurry by right. any means. But at this point, he doesn't wear a Penguins jersey, and I root for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Exactly, but um, I will say those same fans who say we should have kept Flurry were probably the same fans that wanted Vokun to replace Flurry in the early 2010s when he was struggling in the playoffs. Right. Those, those fans were probably the same ones booing him against the Islanders in 2013 in the playoffs of that series as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of fair weatherness going out there and it's never going to stop in, in sports, but it's nice for us to talk about and just kind of vent it out there just to say, Hey, shut up, let them play root for your team. And if you don't like it, go for another team. But to go, go on to, to Mike Sullivan, keeping uh, Matt Murray in, for, the, for that team to come together and whatever was said in between the first and second period, because I threw out a couple texts out to a couple people um, after they went down, I think, 2 nothing, And it, around the 10-minute mark, you know how they throw, like, Brian Boucher at, at the coaches at, like, this second commercial timeout yep. for, like, the coaches' interview or whatever? I was trying to find a, a, somebody, and if, if you do have an answer for this, if you watch the game on TV on Sunday – I was at a foregone conclusion that there was no way Mike Sullivan was going to do that interview the, the way they started that game, that he was going to turn down that interview. Um, and when he, they got in after the first period, that he probably gave him a good uh, ass-chewing, and they got back to work, and they, they battled for their goaltender. Because if that game ends 5-1, 6-1, um, that's a tough one for Matt Murray. And there's a lot of finger pointing at Matt Murray if it ends five one six one. But for them to battle back, he doesn't give up a goal the rest of the way, and they end up coming all the way back and winning four three um, in regulation. Nonetheless, um, it shows how tight knit that group is in that in that locker room, and it shows um, how how much togetherness is in that room. Um, that's something that when you see. A comeback like that, you start thinking this might be something special, especially with the the uh, the adversity that this team has seen through, through the uh, first half of the year. So, last question uh, about Matt Murray before we move on, because we've been on this for a while. Does he start in Philadelphia before the 10-game break? I don't think so. I think it goes back to Tristan Jari. I think it will go to Murray because Jari has not played well this month. And Matt Murray has, and Mike Sullivan's been really good at playing the hot hand. So I think he sticks with Murray. Interesting. I I, I honestly think that the fact that they played Boston on Sunday is why he went to Murray. I think also that Matt Murray, um, from what I I heard, I didn't see the uh, Detroit game on Friday, but he looked pretty good in Detroit. Um, So I think a combination of him playing well against Detroit and they played Boston – on Thursday and then playing him again Sunday, I think he wanted to give Matt Murray a shot at the Bruins. So, um, so I think he goes back to Tristan Jari on uh, Tuesday. All right. So you can let us know what you think on our socials, uh, Facebook, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave, Twitter at Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y Takes, all together one word. What's next? Uh, are we doing Penguin Recap? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, we'll just recap. Uh, we had a big game last Tuesday. Uh, the captain came back about the, time, right? And I mean, what a time for him to come back. 
And when we know when the when the franchise player comes back in this city, especially for the hockey team, magical things happen. Mario came back. He had he had a pretty nice comeback. Sid's comeback against the Islanders. That was a pretty good comeback. This one was no different. Sid was. It looked like he didn't miss a beat out there. Um, he ended up with a four point night. He ended up scoring a goal. Um, Sid just doing Sid things. It, it honestly looked like he had missed a beat and he came back 100%. Um, the one play that kind of blew my mind more than anything was the assist on Dominic Simone's goal where he he had um, Ryan Donato on his hip and he banked the puck off the back of the net to get free and find Simone coming back door and, he, and Simone still couldn't screw it up because it was such a great pass. Do you, do you remember that assist? Um, I was bowling that night. Was was that the first period or second no, period? No, it was like in the third period. Because the one that I do remember um, was the Jared McCann pass when he fell and mm-hmm. got it to Sid, and Sid shot it on net off the defender's stick, and it went in. Mm-hmm. That's the one that really stuck out to me because after the after my bowling night, I went out to the bar like we usually do on Tuesdays, and I was trying to watch the game and hang out with the people that I was with, so I'm trying to go back and forth. And there was so much scoring that game that it was – kind of hard to keep up with which play was which yeah yeah it was it was up and down and i mean like i said i can't say it enough he you could tell he came back 100 percent, and for the success that they had with him out of the lineup that gave him the opportunity to come back 100 percent. and um and yeah i mean it was nice to see Sidney crosby doing Sidney crosby things all over again so um one of my things that I regret now is not finding any prop bets for Sidney Crosby that day and hammering them. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure anything involving a goal or points had to be, you probably weren't getting a good payback on them. So, I was all right, then, so it wasn't as good the next game for the Pens. No, it, it was the exact opposite. So they go to Boston. And they started the exact opposite they did on Sunday. They came out and the captain leading the tone again and scoring 24 seconds in, and it kind of just went blah from there. Um, it seemed Boston seemed to um, be getting away with a lot of things as Boston normally does. They're playing a really physical, chippy game, and um, they end up coming out of Boston with a 4-1 loss to the Penguins. And um, it seemed like that they weren't all with it that game. Uh, for whatever reason, after Sid scored, um, I don't know if they felt that they were that they were going to coast again or or what. But um, but yeah, four one loss in Boston kind of kind of halted everything a little bit. And then uh, they go to Detroit. They get a two one one in Detroit. Um, uh, from I didn't get a chance to watch this this game, but from what I was reading. Um, the Penguins, the game was pretty close in the second period, and then um, the goaltending for Detroit kept it 2-1 pretty much because the Penguins were apparently throwing everything but the kitchen sink at the Detroit goaltending, and they were able to stand on their heads. Yeah, with that game Friday, I was trying to go back and forth um, with just other stuff on the television there. And, you know, I missed it in overtime, but the Penguins got that power play in overtime switched over to the other channel just to see the end of that and then when i came back the penguins had already scored the goal and it was just as pretty as could be as a four on three goal 
can be because there's so much open ice. But it was the the Penguins capitalizing on an opportunity where I mean you are, you are playing the worst team in the league. You're so you're at least getting one point in overtime, but they made sure to get that extra point just because of who's on the ice at that point and the the man advantage as well. Yeah, yeah, I think too. Um... To get the, the one in overtime, I completely forgot that that game even went into overtime. Um, but uh, but it was nice too what, to go on a four four on three power play and over the boards comes Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Rust. I believe was on the ice for the power play, if I remember. Um, it, to to put out those four, I mean, you had to figure a goal was coming, right? Oh, for sure. So I just I just didn't think it'd be five seconds after the faceoff. Right, yeah, it was just like snap, snap, goal. So, um, but yeah, that, that that's a game you have to get two points in against Detroit, um, a team that's really struggling right now that are in clear rebuild mode. Um, they're just waiting for the NHL draft at this point. So, um, get two points out of there. Um, after being on the road for so long, um, with that that West trip against Vegas, Colorado, Arizona, get a win in Minnesota, take the loss in. Um, in Boston, get four points from Detroit and Boston over the weekend. I think it was a pretty good week for the Penguins. Uh, and then we already went over the game on Sunday. So right. we're, what, what was it, three and one overall? Uh, if, do we count so- Sunday as the previous week or is that two weeks yeah. ago? Yeah. So from Sunday in Arizona, they went uh, they went four and one on the week. Sunday well, then there Sunday. you go. So, so. I mean, you. you you can't be um, mad about that because I'm pretty sure since Sydney's injury in November, the Penguins have the best record in hockey. I'd have yeah. to double check that, but that is pretty damn good in my mind. And I mean, the thing that's crazy about it too is um, they're four points behind the Capitals. Like they've stayed right with the Capitals. They've overlooked. Uh, overtaken second place in the um, in the division. They're six points ahead of the uh, of the Islanders as we talk on uh, Monday night. So um, it, it, this team just continues to find find ways to win, right? Oh, for and, sure. It's it's un it's unbelievable with how how many games lost that the Penguins have this this year with man games lost with injuries and the position that they're in to really capitalize and get a a great spot in the playoffs. Unlike last year when you're going on the road right away. Um, But let's kind of shift over from this recap to, I mean, I was going to save this for after our, the one segment, but let's just jump into the, the standings so far. Cause we're, we're we're a little over the, the official halfway point because we're getting into the all-star break. I wanted to have a little bit of fun with who were some surprising teams and whether good or bad and some other maybe superlatives that we could hand out just off the top of our head. Okay, so we're going to split this Eastern and Western Conference, obviously? Yeah, so, I mean, if you wanted to pick a team in the East, whether good or bad, uh, who's the most surprising team? I think the most surprising team for me right now, um, on the good side, I would say the Columbus Blue Jackets. Currently, right now, they're 26, 16, and 8, uh, 60 points. They hold the first wild card spot. Um, after losing as much as they did in the offseason of going all in, 
Um, they also lost their their number one goaltender, their number one goal scorer, um, pretty much all the help that they got at the deadline. Um, the job John Tortorella is doing down there to be uh, one point out of having one of the top three spots in the division. Um, I think it's just an incredible job, and a lot of people pegged this team to be at the bottom of the division, and now they're they're right in the hunt for for a playoff spot right now as we we close in on the All Star break. Um, as far as the bad side, I think the the most disappointing team has to be the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was gonna go with them, but I think I have another team just to, so I'm not agreeing with you here. Okay. Um, but looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, right now they're three points out of the out of the uh, first wild card spot, two points out of the second. Um, but with all the talent that team has, they had to fire a coach. Yeah, they, um, Sheldon Keefe has done a good job since he's been hired. But it just seems like this team just is just is so streaky, and um, they've just been a disappointing all year. Um, I, I I mean, if you look at it, they're they're six points from Buffalo and Montreal overtaking them, and those and those two teams have struggled for a good portion of the year. Buffalo had a good start, but um, Montreal and Buffalo should not be with that close with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna try to write off the most disappointing team if you weren't to say the Maple Leafs, but just because of the the start that they had and. Um, I would even say expectations to at least be in the playoffs by the end of the year because of what they are, have built, been building. I would put Buffalo in there as, as disappointing and just because of the, the start, the hot start that they had to the season and to just have nothing to roll off of that afterward um, is just been overall upsetting because of what Jack Eichel has done for that team and it. Um, and for them to just go from one of the best teams in October at the beginning of the season, and a lot can change since then, for them to drop out and essentially be be nine points out of the playoffs when you go into the all-star break is just upsetting overall for that Buffalo team. Um, and if I were to pick a surprising team, honestly, just because of where they're sitting at, because of what they went through, give it to the Penguins. This is a team that should be in this spot, but if you were to just look at the blank sheet and you show them how many games they've lost and who they have lost compared to other teams, would you have pegged this team as be having the second or third most points in the Eastern Conference, Jeff, at this point? No, I would say that they would have been in a third a third in the, the Metro or a uh, top wildcard spot. I would not have thought that they'd be um, in the conversation with teams like Washington, in Boston as one of the top teams in, in the Eastern Conference. Um, especially to not only trading away Phil Kessel, but to lose Sidney Crosby to have all the injuries that they've had um, in the first half of the year. Um, I, I just, I think that, yes, they're, they're a very good surprise pick by you. All right. And then if we want to head it on over to the Western Conference. Can I think we, there's a, can, before we go to the West, can we bring up one other team? And I don't want to let this team off the hook because they're so young. Okay. Um, the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, that's, as, that's been pretty bad. As, 
as a surprise. I mean, the way they started too. I mean, they went what? What they go like oh and oh eight and one or something? Their first nine or oh eight and two in their first ten. Like for what that franchise put out, you know, the hype was all around Jack Hughes. You know, we got Nico Heischer, uh, Taylor Hall is finally going to be healthy. We got PK Subban. All this hype, 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 and hype, and then to just fall flat on their face and where they're at right now. Um, they're lucky Detroit is as bad as they are because um, there'd be there'd be a lot of questions that need to be answered in, in New Jersey as far as the direction of that franchise. So there's the the honorable mention uh, right. or dishonorable mention. Maybe we should clarify for that one. Let's move it over to the West. And Jeff, I think the 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 most surprising team has to be the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you have JT Miller get traded there from the Lightning um, after signing a five-year contract with them. So he's got four years in Vancouver, and he's been playing very well, and it shows in the standings with Vancouver being in first place in the Pacific. Um, I was going to go back and listen to whenever Zach and I did the show when we were making our predictions for the year. I don't think I had Vancouver as a top four in this division. Uh, let alone first in the division. So I'm going to throw them as the, excuse me, the most surprising team in the West. And this most disappointing team, how can you not pick the Nashville Predators for how much hype was built around the team this year and what they were able to uh, accomplish as far as seeing how far that they could go. Uh, just coming up short against the Penguins in 2017, I believe either making the conference final or getting to the second round the following year, and then last year, um, I mean, it doesn't really help with as far as they've made it. Get eliminated the first round last year, but with adding Matt Duchesne and getting all this scoring power, I mean, they're still plus two on the year uh, with goal differential, but to be a 22-18-7 overall and looking way up into the standings, uh, sixth place out of the seven teams in their division, it's hard to pick a team in the West that's been more disappointing than them? Uh, so my surprises, um, I'm going to go as far as the good, I'm going to go, hmm. oh, uh, I'm going to go Dallas with an honorable mention of the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Dallas, because of how bad that they started out, I didn't think that they would able to work their way back and be in the conversation. And, and Especially what was this quickly. Yeah, and in the division that they're in too. I mean, if you remember all the previews that you that you listen around the hockey world and everything, the Central Division was supposed to be a dogfight. So maybe they got lucky that Chicago's still kind of rebuilding. Nashville's having a bad year, so um, you know, even even Winnipeg's in the conversation, but they're four points up on Winnipeg. So um, you know, if there was a year for them to start out slow, I guess they picked the right one. Um, as far as Edmonton goes. Um, I'll give them the surprise, but let's not kid ourselves. They're getting carried by Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And is this going to work getting into February and March when games start getting tougher? We'll see, but um, definitely a surprise that they they came out as, as hot as they did and that they were able to maintain it because I thought they would have fell off by Christmas time. All right, then what about most disappointing the most disappointing for me is the San Jose Sharks. For where this team was at over the last three to four years, they were going to Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup final. They went to a couple conference finals. Um, 
it's just disappointing. You have all that money invested. Um, you're seeing Joe Thornton starting to get really frustrated um, on the ice. He's doing a lot of uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic things. Well, I'll talk a little bit. Um, and you, you have all that money invested in Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Um, Logan Couture going down. I, I, I'm just really disappointed the coach got fired. Um, just a really disappointing year so far for the San Jose Sharks. And um, the season's starting to slip out of their hands. And um, you got to wonder if it's going to be time to start rebuilding in San Jose. San Jose. Um, yeah, I mean, the San Jose one, they kind of have been locking themselves in and into these huge contracts, and most notably with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. And there is no light in place with how they're performing this year and what they can do in the future to maintain uh, possible success and keep making the playoffs and giving them a chance to make the Stanley Cup. Because this team, um, as far as I can remember, has always been making the playoffs every single year, whether or not that they were one of the top teams in the West or coming in as a, as a wild card or a, or a, a three-team with how the standings work in the playoffs now. Um, it's it's looking dark for San Jose, and they might be at the bottom here for a while if they don't get things straightened out with the how the money's dispersed throughout that organization. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting what they do. You gotta wonder what Joe Thornton's future is gonna be. Um, what the plan is to do with the goaltending down the stretch because that's obviously been their big Achilles heel. Um. What do you do with, with Eric Carlson? You're obviously committed to him for a long time, for a lot of money. Um, I'm sure he's got clauses in there that he can't move or be traded. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what the, what they decide to do as far as the uh, the future of that, that organization. How can you have both Carlson and Brent Burns and have the third most goals or the third biggest goal differential in all of the National Hockey League? I mean, you have the Red Wings at minus 88, but they they weren't supposed to be good at all. The Devils, which is a, we already went over that, at minus 47. And then you got the San Jose Sharks at minus 37 on the year. How can you have almost, um, let's just say, total $20 million between two defensemen and still give up that many goals? I know they can't play all of the defense, but how can that happen? Goaltending. You can have the best defense that you want, but if you can't get a save, I mean... It's goaltending, goaltending, goaltending. I'm glad you can answer that so calmly. I mean, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, people want to want to poo-poo goaltending and everything, and um, that's all in Pittsburgh. Well, no, I mean, I, I, the whole thing going around the league now is that you know you don't need you don't need to spend ten million dollars on a goaltender, and I get that, but you still got to have a guy that can stop the puck on on a pretty regular basis, and. The two teams that we just talked about here that were supposed to be pretty good teams this year weren't getting that goaltending early on in the year. Um, both coaches ended up losing their jobs in New Jersey and San Jose, and um, a lot of people pointed the goaltending for that. So um, at the end of the day, you still need a guy to stop the puck on a, on a, on a fairly decent level, and whether you're paying them at an entry-level deal or you're paying them $10 million, He's got to be able to stop the puck, and if you don't get the saves that you need, you're not going to be successful. So, do we have anything more for this segment? I don't think so. 
Okay, so let's get into the the hot part of the hockey talk before we switch it over to baseball. And hot is an understatement, Jeff. Yeah, it wouldn't be a podcast of of us doing one at least without having a firing or a couple firings in it. Um, and a shocking, shocking firing this one was. The Vegas Golden Knights fired Gerard Gallant. And when I first saw this, and it's really sad that when I first saw this, that this is my first response of what do they have on this guy now? Because from everything you heard, he's a great guy. The players love playing for him. And sure enough, Vegas was like, all right, see ya. You're done. And fired him. So they got a new GM. Um, George McPhee moved up. I believe he's the president of Hockey Ops. And um, and the, the guy they have in right now, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. But, um, but having a new GM, he obviously wants his own guy in there. And um, sure enough, yeah, Gerard Gallant got fired as a coach who took an expansion team to the Stanley Cup Finals and um, was a major penalty away from – from uh, beating the San Jose Sharks in Game Seven last year, so Kelly um, McCrimmon. Kelly McCrimmon. That that's it. For some reason, I wanted to call him Kevin Federline. That's where my that's where my brain. Oh, at today. okay. And I'm just like, there's just like, could you imagine, like, like Alex Riley last week? Right. Yeah. Like my brain's just all over the place, and I'm just picturing now, like, you know how Sportsnet in Canada will like find like the executives in the box during a game or whatever. Like they'll show Mario, like if they're in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I'm just picturing like Kevin Federline in like a, a luxury suite watching, watching the uh, Vegas Golden Knights games. <laughs> All right, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I was surprised about this too. My my initial thought wasn't you um, trying to think of the absolute negative because of what we've seen um, with other coaches getting the boot with, and because of uh, what was said in the past or what they have done to players in the past. Um, I just think this is the Vegas Golden Knights almost trying to outsmart themselves with what they had in that first season um, being a team um, and trying to capitalize on, you know, just coming up three games short that year in the Stanley Cup final. And this is their way of thinking that a leadership change with the players um, would, would create that spark again. Um, I think this was more or less going to hurt them because of who they had brought in. But Peter DeVore does have uh, success in making the playoffs. He, he's, he's a guy that's usually always there in April and even sometimes May, um, but was only able to get to the dance once um, against the, the Penguins that year. And, you know, since then just, just came up short. Well, I mean, they never had a lead up until, I think, game five of that Stanley Cup final because they won game three in overtime. Um, I can't remember if they had a lead in game four, but they lost that. Um, but I I just think this is Vegas almost trying to outsmart themselves and trying to think that they're going to stay on the edge and give themselves the edge. But I think Gerard Gallant was the guy there, and for him to be booted out two and a half years in and – you can only see, um, what, coming up one game shy of the first round just because of a BS five-minute penalty that they received against San Jose. I think this is the the ops people 
trying to do too much. Yeah, I, I think for sure it, it just it, it just doesn't make sense. And yeah, I mean they're not having the they're not running away with the Pacific like they thought, but um, you know they're still they're still holding a playoff spot. And um, I mean when you hear what they why they fired them, they pretty much said they didn't like the way the team was playing. So um, you know it's. It's tough to see, you know. You don't want to see a guy get fired, but um, as the old saying goes, hockey uh, hockey coaches are hired to be fired. Very true, very so. true. So, um, and not that we had another coach fired, we had another executive fired that we think is worth mentioning. So yeah, uh, on Sunday before the Penguins played Arizona, the um, the New Jersey Devils announced that Ray Shiro was told to pack up his things and get the hell out. So um, this one was not as bizarre as Gerard Gallant with just how how disappointing the Devils have been this year, but, um, but just shocking in that you didn't hear any rumblings about it, that, his, that he was on, a, um, on the hot seat or anything in New Jersey. Um, they... Usually when you have the opportunity with the, the amount of draft picks he had, the moves that he made, you can kind of let, let those come together. And sure enough, he, he got fired last Sunday. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 apparently there was a big disconnect between him and, um, and ownership in the front office of how they wanted things to go on an operations way. And, um, eventually it just ended up costing Ray Shiro his job. It, it's yeah. Like I agree with you that it was less bizarre compared to Gerard Gallant, but this is also a team that's, uh, in a, in a way, very young and inexperienced, um, with most of their players on this team. And you could say that maybe there, there is not enough alignment on the ice with how you have players, uh, in certain pairings or lines, but, this is a team that we did not expect to make the playoffs, but at least make a little bit of a better effort going into this part of this part of the season at the unofficial halfway point. And it's it's strange to see how how just poor that they've played all season long because not that he is the best defenseman, but PK Subban was highly sought after and uh, the Devils went all in on him. And Jack Hughes and even uh, Capo Caco have not kind of lived up to one and two uh, pick expectations. Um, but this is a team that maybe didn't give Ray Shiro or even their head coach Jack Hughes enough of a chance to prove what they can do in the future. But now it's kind of, it's like we always say, it's going to be interesting to watch how this team develops in the next few years with new leadership changes. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Just, are they going to stick with, um, I believe Elaine Nazardine is the, is the head coach out there right now. Um, is he going to get the interim tag taken off or is, um, are they going to do an outside search, see what they, they want to do there? Um, Obviously, having a new GM now, um, is he going to do an, an open search for, for quote-unquote, his head coach? Um, a lot of questions in New Jersey right now. It's not uh, 
not fun to be a Devils fan right now, although I never think it is fun to be a Devils fan back in the day when they would trap all the time. But, um, but yeah, so it, it, a lot of questions over in, um, in Newark, New Jersey. Hey, it was around this time last year that a St. Louis Blues fan put down a bet on the Blues to win the Stanley Cup when they were in dead last. Um, Jeff, right now the Devils plus 25000 to win the Stanley Cup. Would you put a dollar on that? Nope. Fair enough. I, I don't think I would either. But, hey, for a dollar to pay out two fifty, that's not bad. Yeah, I'm just going to – I'll just crunkle up the dollar and throw it away because there's just no hope for the Devils. <laughs> Um, oh, I, I think this is the end of hockey, but before we end it, who just looking at FanDuel Sportsbook, um, there, there's two teams tied for the, the best odds to win the Stanley Cup. Can you name them? Washington Capitals. One. Pittsburgh Penguins. No. The Pittsburgh Penguins are actually in sixth. Really? Uh, they're low. at plus 1,200. Oh, uh, I would throw money on that one, though. Yeah, I mean, Just all right, so a, in front, I know that's a home job call, but I would throw money on that. So in front of them are the Colorado Avalanche at plus 1,100, the St. Louis Blues at plus 950, the Boston Bruins at plus 950. You already named the Washington Capitals, which leaves a surprising Tampa Bay Lightning at plus 900 tied with Washington. They have gone to go in the last two or three weeks. I just don't know if they're there to stay. Yeah, I, I don't see them as the favorite right now, but I see them as improving based off where they started earlier this year. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I'm really, really surprised by that. So I think that that's it for hockey. Yeah, I think that is. It's time for you to now take over, and we got a lot to talk about on the baseball side. I mean, we say it's a lot, but really it's one big topic that kind of sprinkles into others. Yeah. Or uh, the Houston Astros punishment finally came out for their um, sign stealing in 2017 throughout the year and in the playoffs as well. And it might even stem into other years as well, but not to what they did in 2017, kind of using different tactics that have yet to be proven, but the signs look like they're there. Um, So the punishment for the Houston Astros because of what they did in 2017, the team gets fined $5 million, the most that a team can be fined under the current CBA. Um, the team loses four draft picks, first and second round in this year and next year. And both A.J. Hinch and the manager and Jeff Liu, now the general manager, got a one-year suspension, and around half an hour later after that was announced, A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau were fired um, by the Houston Astros. And the owner, Jim Crane, coming out saying that, you know, we we worked hard to get that title in 2017. We're kind of cleaning our hands of what has come out of all this with A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau. Um, A.J. Hinch being very sympathetic after getting the boot out there, kind of, realizing what had just happened and what the um, severity was to what he did. Jeff Lunau kind of scorching the earth saying that this was all done by lower level uh, people and he wasn't a part of this at at all. Uh, So there's really a lot to try to dive into here and there. But Jeff, let's just go over the initial punishment by the Houston Astros. Um, It's I'm trying to think of a way to make this more. 
more of a punishment. But what is your initial thoughts of what the MLB gave them, and what do you think could have been improved or not improved? Uh, so as as the very broad part of it, as far as like the organization as a whole, I thought losing the draft picks is good. Um, the five million, I mean, that's unless you're Bob Nutting, that's not a whole lot of money, right? <laughs> I, I don't so, think that is a lot of money to Bob Nutting. He just doesn't want to spend it. Right. I mean, but you get my point. I mean, it, they got fined, but it, I, I, the big hit there is the, the draft picks. Um, in, in, a the, way, it, the, in a way, it's a, it's a big hit, but I'll let you continue. The only thing that I, I, I wish that they would have went, went with is punishing the current players that are on that team because they didn't really lose a whole lot. And I'm pointing mostly at Jose Altuve and um, and Alex Bregman. I I know we didn't talk about it, but um, you know the the leadership group there that are going to be there for a while. They need to get punished in some way that hurts their season right now, because um, for what was going on and all the the, the GM getting fired, the coach getting fired. Um, they need to be held accountable. And I know it's hard with the, the, the players association that uh, baseball is going to have to, to battle against, but um, the players need to be punished in some way, shape or form. I, and I, I firmly, firmly believe that. So, the, I mean, you can't punish the pitchers on the Astros staff, I believe. Um, the only way that you could punish them is that if they were a part of it in the bullpen with, receiving the signs electronically Um, because the way I look at this way of sign stealing is absolute cheating that should not be allowed Um, the sign stealing that I thought was going on that I kind of dismissed was just being able to read the signs whether you're on second base or you're in the bullpen and you're able to just look look and see what the the tendencies are if you can see any fingers flashing down there Um, so that's what I thought the initial sign stealing was because you're using the actual broadcast feed and, you know, having different ways that are being reported, which the the obvious one is the trash can banging that you can hear audibly in almost any home game that didn't really have a lot of noise. Um, and um, the other way that was reported that they were getting signs were having a bullpen ca- catcher go up against the fence and, you know, having that view from being a batter and like almost dead center a little over to the right being able to see something from him before the pitch comes in. Um, it It's hard to just say that just because you were on that team um, doesn't mean that you deserve the punishment because if if you're Mike Fires, who was on that team in 2017, does he get punished for being on the Oakland Athletics at this point then? No, no. When I say you're you're punishing current players, you're punishing who's on the Houston Astros. Not necessarily – I mean – you can't punish every guy. I mean, you could find them or whatever, but um, when I say punish, I mean currently on the Houston Astros as far as guys like Altuve, like these guys, these guys that are that are heavily part of it, and we'll, we'll get deeper into it. But um, that we're heavily involved in it, and they're doing investigations. I think more and more, and we're going to find out. And this is going to keep growing and growing, but. Um, I don't know if you heard Mark Madden's idea, but have him start at minus 10 on the year. 
Um, like that, I, I thought that was a good idea because you're punishing those guys, but you're not crippling your season. But it's it's enough to say, hey, like this is serious what you guys did. This is not a joke. Like you blatantly cheated. You cost a lot of teams and a lot of people a lot of money from cheating. I mean, you cost Clayton Kershaw. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, this guy took a beating because he can't perform in the playoffs. Little, little did we know that they were cheating. They knew his signs. And and the only reason that I'm upset about the Astros knowing the signs is just the way that they received them. Like I had said earlier, if this is right, just, right, it, this is just receiving it electronically and live during the games. This is why I think this is absolute BS. Um, the the starting at minus ten can get uh, just a little bit tricky, just based off how you keep statistics in general with. Um, all sports, including especially baseball, which is just stat crazy. Um, for them to start at minus 10, it's going to really just... Uh, so h- how about this? They win the division by 19 games, which in general would be nine games. So you're basically just giving the team everyone else a head start in their own division. If they still win... Do you still look into the team to think that they're maybe cheating, or are they just that much better than every other team in that division? Wait, like, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm like kind of on the fence about having them start at minus ten to where what you could actually do as a full as a form of punishment right away is that no matter where they finish this year, they don't make the playoffs. But that see, the only reason with that though is you give them no reason to play then. At like, the same you know time, I mean? you're you're so, having players who are at the the peak of their athleticism on that team that are losing out on that year. Well, don't cheat then. Well, and, uh, and if what, you're and if you're just joining the team, you knew about this. You knew something was up. Like this was a thing during the World Series this year about sign stealing and everything. And if you like, say you signed as a free agent, tough shit. Yeah, but that, that's why I think that it would be better for them to either A, no matter where they finish this year, they don't make the playoffs, or B, the next time that they make the playoffs or have that good of a record, you don't make it in. So it wouldn't even have to be this year. If for some so, reason. You say, so you're taking them off any playoff appearance? The next time that they are eligible. Right, like okay. If they, if they qualify, I should say, not eligible. Um if they were to qualify this year, they just wouldn't make it just because of that would be their punishment for cheating in that World Series. So I, I think the thing that, that makes me more upset than anything is remember when we talked about Altuve's home run against Chapman? Yep. And and like how great of a piece of hitting that was. And he turned he really turned around Chapman and Chapman kind of gave like this like kind of smirk like I can't believe he did that like what a, what a hit or whatever and you go back and you watch that and with all the speculation that they had buzzers on their right shoulders and that's how they were knowing they were stealing signs I felt like such a a sap like like they got like they completely fooled me like I, I honestly thought, like, like Jose Altuve, like, that's an awesome moment. Like, he was able to turn around one of the best pitchers in, in baseball to go to the World Series. Little did we know he was cheating. Yeah, like, so, I mean, it just makes you feel upset, honestly, yeah, because it, it, this is 
sports is just a way to almost witness some of the most unexpected, you know, triumphs and tragedies in, on the field just because of what the story is lending you to believe. And for to see the one team that is just, well, not knowingly at the time for, for a fan, but for a team that is knowingly cheating to be able to get away with it up until this point, it just makes you question everything. And I hate even thinking that in the first place. Yeah. And you got to wonder too, like if one team got caught, like, is there anybody else doing it? Like it, it kind of, it's kind of a snowball effect. Like, well, I mean, I, I was listening to the athletic, they do a podcast, um, Dave O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty, who used to um, who used to pitch for the Braves, he said they had a live feed in the in the bullpen at Turner Field. Now they weren't stealing signs, but like that's against the rules. You can't have a live feed in either the bullpen or the dugout. You just can't do it. Like yeah, I mean, it's like still, to it's have electronic. that access to have that access is just absolutely absurd. Yep. Yep. And, so. And I mean, he said, like, you know, we didn't use it. I mean, it was the only reason we use it is because if you remember at Turner Field, the the bullpen is like tucked in the corner, so you can't see anything going on. But like to to have that, like, if the wrong guy gets in there or you sign the wrong guy and he's throwing out signs and everything, like that can get you in so much trouble. Like, I just I can't believe that Major League Baseball would allow something like that. So you were saying that it might snowball into something else. Well, you know, we have the report that the Boston Red Sox are being investigated for allegedly stealing signs in their World Series run in 2018. And this was a team that looked even better than the Houston Astros the year before, just based off the way they pitched well and their their clutch hitting and everything like that. Um, Alex Cora um, has already been... I think of it as a firing, but apparently it was a mutual parting of ways between the two parties because of Alex Cora's involvement in 2017 as the bench coach with the Houston Astros and for winning his first year in Boston and the how much they dominated everybody that year. Now they're being reported for stealing signs. Um, I don't know the complete way that they were uh, being stealing signs, what they're being alleged what is allegedly happened. I can't talk either. Um, what has allegedly happened with that team that year, but we have Alex Cora who has been fired from the Boston Red Sox. Um, so do you think anything will come from this investigation, Jeff? Uh, say that again. Sorry. I had to answer. something. It's all right. You don't listen to me anyway. So <laughs> with Cora being getting the can in Boston after being there for two years, um, and his involvement in Houston in 2017. Do you see anything happening in Boston to where they might be getting punished as well? I think Boston's going to get, yeah, depending on what the investigation is, we haven't, we haven't heard anything on it yet. Um, but I think if this gets bad, bad, bad enough in Boston, geez, oh man, I can't talk. My brain's fried. Um, if it's bad enough in Boston, I could see Cora getting like a lifetime ban, like Pete Rose style, right? Yeah. To, to, mean, not, because... to not only do, to not only do it once, and you won a World Series on it as a bench coach, knowing it's wrong, 
and then to turn around and double down on it at another franchise and be successful with it and win a World Series, like, how? Like, how, how can you allow that to happen and let this guy still be in baseball or be eligible to be in baseball for that matter? Yeah, and I, I think that Alex Cora, if the Boston Red Sox are found guilty of cheating that year, is kind of in a mixed bag for me. Um, he will, in a way, he'll get too much because A.J. Hinch didn't get enough, if you kind of understand what I'm saying there. If Alex Cora does get that lifetime ban, I think they went too light on A.J. Hinch. If Alex Cora doesn't get a lifetime ban, I think that the that the MLB is kind of losing it onto what kind of punishments are, are going around uh for for cheating and being successful at it as well until you know years later when they get caught because if this happens during the series i can only imagine what happens but for core like we have said been linked to two of them now and been successful both times it's hard to think that he doesn't get a lifetime ban if this investigation is turns out to be positive that they were cheating in boston i mean Again, how do you allow him to still be eligible for any type of job in Major League Baseball if this all comes out that the Red Sox cheated too? Uh, I don't know. This is this is something and if, that. And if that you're a Yankee fan, if you're a Yankee fan, and and one of my buddies who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, um, how are how are your is your stomach not turning and? how upset you are because both these teams cost you World Series because of cheating. What about the Dodgers? The Dodgers, too. The Dodgers, absolutely, too. There's a lot of people that should be very, very pissed off about this because of the success that they're robbed from or even even the integrity of the game in general. Not, not Forget even the playoff successes or World Series. The integrity of the game has been tarnished, and this this is almost as bad as the, ster- the steroid scandal, is it not? I think it's worse. I have a I different think it's opinion a lot on steroids, because, but... Because steroid, it, I can take all the steroids I want. If Garrett Cole blasts 90, 99 past me, them steroids ain't doing jack shit for me. Exactly. But, you know, if I know that 99's coming, I'm going to be swinging before that thing leaves his hand, and I'm going to catch up to it. And that's going to go 500 plus. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious of what's get, what's going to happen here, how baseball is going to handle this. Because I think at this point, they're, they're kind of shell-shocked of how to handle it. Because it, it seems like every day, every day, every day, something's happening. I think no matter what, the MLB was going to be criticized whether they did not do enough or they did too much. And if you're the MLB, which one do you really want to be associated with? Not I would doing say, enough or doing too much? Sorry to cut you off. Um, I would say I'd rather be on the side of not doing – of doing too much. Sorry, I really – again, brain's fried. Um, I would rather do too much because that way I've set the precedent that if this happens again, it could be a lot, lot worse than, than what we did before. Yeah, and I, I would can, think can, I would have can. to agree with you there just because it's it's hard to try to draw the line 
of how much should be dished out the first time. But at the same time, if you're too harsh the first time, like you said, there's most likely it's not going to happen to the severity like it did again. Right. Look at look at the aftermath, though. Think think of like the outcomes that could happen if you do too much. You're less likely to have something happen if you do too little. Then it, it teams are going to be like, oh, it's just going to cost us two years of of uh, first first and second round picks and five million dollars. Yeah, we're good. You know, the 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 prime uh, example that you keep hearing is how Ro- Roger Goodell handled Spygate for the Patriots. Right, is that he didn't do enough, and then sure enough, the Patriots turn around and they keep cheating on cheating on cheating. So. Um, I, I think Major League Baseball needs to fight this out with the Players Association and not let the players win this one. Let us know what you think as well on the social medias, or you can even hit us up on anchor.fm. However you're listening to the podcast, you, podcast, you can hit us up on Facebook at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave, on Twitter at Icy Takes, all together one word, I-C-E-Y is how we spell Icy. Jeff, before we end the show, um, I wanted to do something fun. I thought about this. I wanted to tell you before the show. Um, I forgot to tell you before the show, so I'm putting you on the spot with this. All right. Um, if with uh, however you have access to Google, I need you to Google the uh, the 2020 MLB Hall of Fame uh, ballot, um, an image search for it, and you'll see all of the players that you can pick from to. Um, be voted into the Hall of Fame because the announcement is coming out January 21st at 6 p.m. of who's making the Hall of Fame this year in Major League Baseball. So if you are a writer for um, for baseball and you have up to 10 votes, and now you don't have to use all 10, but if you okay. have up to 10 votes, um, I want you to take a little look at that list and let me know um, who you think should make it. Um, depending on what list that you have in front of you, the ones that are italicized, I believe, are the first-year eligibility, and the rest are still in their, in their 10 years waiting to get in. So um, look around. Like who? I mean, there's one player that you pick right away automatically. Right. Can we just name them? Yep, you can say it. Derek Jeter. Yes. Okay, yeah, so he's he's guaranteed number one. All right, so yeah, we, we agree with Derek Jeter. That's that's a no-brainer. So, Jeff, just looking looking over, um, I think I've given you enough time to put together a little bit of a list here, or maybe you can do it on the fly. Um, just go over who would you at least pick next, or who are the next two if you have it, next three? Like, what do you got? Okay, so my next one is Andrew Jones, center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. Um, probably one of the premier center fielders of his time. Um, part part of that great lineup being with uh, Chipper Jones and those great Brave teams um, from the mid-90s to kind of the mid-2000s after he got moved on. But um, I think if it's not this year, I think he gets in. I think, um, you know, you look back at his work and he was one of the one of the better defensive center fielders. Um, and the way he came on the scene too, he was a really, really good, good, uh, piece for, um, for the Braves when they were going against the Yankees in the mid nineties. I would say that he is probably depending more on defensive statistics and how electric he was with the glove in center field to get in. 
Um, because with having a, a career 254 average and upwards of 800, or he has an 823 career OPS, um, I know just looking at, um, we're trying to, in my opinion, the Hall of Fame, just trying to find the great guys. You kind of have certain criteria for stats. Um, Andrew Jones is on right on there on the cusp of making it. I think it would more depend on his glove and um, to be able to make that Hall of Fame. So uh, right now I don't have him, but I don't know if the if it would change later on. But could you uh, imagine if he played in the era of like defensive metrics? Like if he played now, oh yeah, with all, with all the <laughs> metrics, I think he's more appreciated. So I think he's just like a hair above his time. Right, and yeah, I'm not. I mean, he played very well early on in his career, but then it kind of teetered off at the end, I, I believe. Right. Um, but if I had to go with my the next choice, um, let me hear the criticism for this one. Um, how about Barry Bonds? I got him. I yeah, got him. I mean, it's, to- it's time, right? Yeah, it's I mean, time. what this is his eighth year on the ballot, and I think even with – we have our opinions of steroid use. There are baseball writers that will write them off immediately uh, with knowing that they that they juiced. But to be able to still hit the ball and, and perform at a high level, there's a difference between players who are, who are juicing that we don't really care about. And there's a difference between you know, players like Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa that just kind of went off. Um, you can put an asterisk by the home run record all you want. I'm okay with that. But the way that Barry Bonds played even before he was juicing showed that he was a Hall of Famer, no doubt. I think what you just said there to end that is exactly why a lot of people have that argument that he should be in is that, okay, you want to you want to take away the fact that he was a power hitter or whatever. How about the fact he was a five-tool player when he was in Pittsburgh and he was, he was consistently a 30-30 or a 40-40 guy year in, year out? So... Um, I agree with you 100%. I've been thumping that drum for the last two or three years that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And then it, it's just been the uh, the old boys club in, in the Baseball Writers Association that's kept them out. Yeah. Um, all right. So, I mean, I have five more on my list. I'm just going to rattle them off. Okay. Um, and I'm sure if any purist in baseball is listening to this, they're going to, going to cringe on probably two of these names. Um, but Larry Walker, I think, should yep. be in there. Got him. Um, Omar Vizquel. Mm. I mean, he was kind of like Andrew Jones, like electric on the field, but wasn't really there all the time with the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, Sammy Sosa, just because of the player that he was before, he wasn't to the extreme of Barry Bonds when he played in Pittsburgh, uh, but Sammy Sosa was still that that guy that you feared going up against even before he was juicing. So. Uh, so just uh, before you move on, the thing with Sammy Sosa, um, I think for what people say about the steroid era, for what it is, um, and the big three that you seem to always hear is Sosa, uh, McGuire, and Bonds, right? Those right. three guys, and, yeah, are, the big three. Whether, whether they did it or whatever, the, those three guys should, should be in the Hall of Fame because they – they arguably got baseball back on the map after the after the strike. Baseball was in a real bad spot, and then the home run chase became a thing. Yep. And you had Sosa McGuire, and they did their thing. And then for Barry Bonds, not too long after that, because remember, what was it, 97, 99, 98? 90, 98. 98. Yep. So 98, you have, you have the chase. 
you have the Sosa McGuire chase. And then in 01, Barry Bonds goes out and rattles off 73. And you, I mean, every night, Sports Center had some kind of highlights for all these guys. And on top of that, they're also going around the rest of the league as well. So I think those three guys 100% should be in the Hall of Fame because they, they single handedly brought baseball back. I like that little segment you just did right there. Thank you. That, that was off the cuff, too. How about that? With the fried brain and everything. There you go. And I got two more. Uh, Todd Helton, who I loved growing up as a kid. Um, I thought he was one of the best first basemen in the game um, when he was playing. And Ro- ended with Roger Clemens. I mean, we talk about the mm, with, yeah. uh, with baseball or with people in, at the plate. Let's talk about Roger Clemens, too. And, you know, we're always going to say it, even before Juicin when he was with uh, – you know, Boston, and he that was a dude you did not want to go up against. So, yeah, that one I i admittedly left off, and I honestly can't give you a good reason why. <laughs> like, I, I, I just kind of did, and I think it was uh, because of how it ended with him. And I, I don't know if for whatever reason I just I, I did leave him off. Um, the three that I put on that, um, that you did not mention. Um, I put Billy Wagner on there. I thought about putting him in there too. Okay. Is this his first year? My, my ballot doesn't specify. I don't believe so. I think this is probably like second or third. Okay. Um, yeah, I think he should be on there. When he was with the Astros, he was one of the most dominant closers. Um, he, I, I believe he went to the Mets as well before he came to Atlanta. In the Phillies, I think. Or Phillies. It's the Phillies. I knew it was an NLE's team. Um, but he was such a dominant guy. Um, he kind of was a mentor for a guy for Craig, uh, Craig Kimbrell when he came to Atlanta uh, at the beginning of his career. So um, Billy Wagner made it on my list. Um, Jeff Kent as well. Yeah, Jeff Kent I wasn't really fond of right away. Um, I don't know why. I just thought that his numbers were um, – I'd have to actually look him up. I, I can't even BS you right now. Uh, for some <laughs> reason, I I just didn't peg him as being Hall of Fame material just because I know the name, but I never just. I think he was also overshadowed by Barry Bonds during that time in San Francisco. Right. That right. I don't really see him at that standard. I gotcha. I gotcha. And then the last one, um, I know Yankee fans are gonna bury me for this one because I didn't put Clemens on it. Uh, Kurt Schilling put it on mine and i don't know if baseball would because of how he's been post-career if that like the pr move and everything with it because let's face it that's how the hall of fame has kind of been um yeah i mean he he was part of so many great teams he he's won he won what two or three world series um I, i mean he put together a great career no matter where he went he won so um Kurt Schilling was the last one that I put on. Yeah, and I thought about it too with Kurt Schilling. I just kind of agree with you where it's kind of odd to where he's gone post-career. Post so um, it's been an interesting time to follow Kurt Schilling. Let's yeah, for that. sure. For um, sure. I think that's it. I think it's nice to end on a fun note there. That was fun. That was, that was a good idea by you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I thought about it today when I saw uh, John Heyman put up his uh, ballot post on Twitter. Yeah, I saw that they have like 37% of the vote in or whatever, and believe it or not, Barry Bonds has enough to get in. Yeah, I mean, 
So of all the writers, like 400 plus writers, you need 75% of the vote. Right. So we'll, we'll see um, what it comes down to during the announcement. Because I think, well, Derek Jeter has a possibility of being unanimous. But after that, it's, it's, a, it's a shoot to see who, who's in with him. Right, yeah, it'll be. Well, I'm just glad that we're not going to have another year where we don't have a class. Exactly. You know what I mean? 2013 was weird. How absurd was that? Like, 2013 was a weird time. If if there was the one thing that like you should never do is not have a Hall of Fame class. (laughs) Whatever. Hey, I mean, we have as many home runs as the 2013 Hall of Fame class. So yeah, I guess so, and as many strikeouts. Let's just end the show uh, with our MVP or LVP. Um, I'll lead it off with uh, King Felix Hernandez getting a minor league deal with the Atlanta Braves. Jeff, we were talking about it earlier before the show, and I think there's nothing but positives for this move by the Atlanta Braves and King Felix because it's a very low-risk, high-reward move if it works out well. Even less of a risk for what you guys went through with Josh Donaldson last year and how much money he was paid. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this works out. Um, we talked before the show. I would have rather had one of the prospects that are that has a good spring or whatever take that fifth spot. But um, you know, it, it's like you said, it's a low risk, high reward kind of thing, and you know, we'll see what happens. So, uh, yeah, welcome to Braves country, Felix. Uh, ho- hopefully, we have a good run together. All right, what do you got? Uh, for my MVP, did you see this? I think it was Saturday night that uh, Ottawa and Calgary were playing, and yeah. Wes McCauley was the referee, did the open yep. face-off, and he threw out both centers. So the Kachuk brothers came in and took the opening draw, and he actually told them, whether it was before the game or like before he dropped the puck, that he was going to do this because Keith Kachuk, Big Walt, and... Um, and his wife were in town, obviously, to see their kids play against each other. Um, he, he goes, if I'm roughing one of your games, I'm going to throw out the center so you guys can take an opening draw. Your mom's going to love it. And that's the kind of thing that a guy that just gets it, right? Yep. You hear all this bad stuff about referees, how they're pompous assholes, or you know they go on power trips or whatever. But for a guy like that to say, you know what, these two kids are playing each other, Anytime brothers play each other, families in town, um, let's get a cool picture for them or whatever of them doing the opening face-off. And you know someone in the, in the press got it. So um, so I thought that was a really cool moment for, for a guy like Wes McCauley to do that. Oh, for sure. That was a grade-A move by a grade-A ref. Yeah, yeah. And he, he has his theatrics when there's five minutes for fighting. <laughs> I, I think it's better whenever there's a review for a goal or no goal for Wes McCauley. Yeah, yeah. He is, he's arguably the Ed Hockley of of the NHL, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you remember the Ed Hockley explanations where he'd say, like, <laughs> he'd say the, the, the receiver didn't catch the ball with two feet inbounds. By rule, that means that it is not a catch. It is not a touchdown. New England keeps the ball first and ten from their own three. It's like, what the hell? Why did you just say it was an incomplete pass? Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure Ed Hockley's a lawyer, too. So. Yeah, right. So, like, he has to get every word of the rule out. His, his son is in his second year of repping now. 
Yeah, he. I, I don't think I remembered him doing any games or anything, but. All right, let's just end the show before. Yeah, we well, it's getting off the tracks. It's yeah, I mean, this, it's already, it already, it always goes off the rails with us. But thank you for listening to another episode of Icy Takes. Um, make sure to share the episode. Tell your friends about it. Tell your grandma about it. We we love all the support that we get from you guys. Um, you can listen to us on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and almost anywhere that offers uh, podcasts. Uh, like us on Facebook. Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Follow us on Twitter. Icy Takes all together with one word. I-C-E-Y. Uh, follow the personals at Big underscore Dave 52. At Christ underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior. Oh, man. Hopefully the show didn't go off the rails too much. But if you did, I hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week. But until then, stay icy.